Good morning. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I owe everybody, I think, maybe a little apology. Uh, I think uh, six, seven years ago, uh, math is hard, but uh, several years ago when uh, my family and I moved to Orange County from San Francisco Bay, uh, the, or the peninsula, um, that, like, we moved in, like, in December, and that winter, it'd be 2016 to 2017, um, Orange County, really Southern California, experienced record-shattering rainfall. So I, I think it's my fault. Because <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, that wouldn't... Yeah, because that wouldn't be narcissistic at all, but I guess I ruined the balloon fiesta, so yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> Jesus, and uh, our gospel reading is traveling, uh, he's continuing uh, to travel to Jerusalem, and Luke has structured his story of Jesus uh, along this trajectory. It's kind of like the good guy going to face down the bad guys or something like that. And he finally gets there in chapter 19. This is chapter 17. So we're getting close. Now, the reason why I say that is just maybe feel a little bit of a tension rise. Because when Jesus gets there, there's going to be some questions and some events that start swirling around Jesus and around who he is really. Is he just some Galilean prophet? Well, yeah. Um, maybe not use the word just. Is he a healer? Is he a teacher? Yes. But what else? Because we've seen those before. And they didn't have quite this same effect. So Jesus is um, uh, going through and he evidently travels through what we call Samaria, which is the territory north of Judea. And uh, Samaria is inhabited by Samaritans, and he's probably a little closer to the Judean border by this point. And he goes through a village, and there's a group of lepers, people with leprosy. Now, when uh, the, the biblical writers use the word leprosy, it's kind of a catch-all phrase or term for a whole bunch of skin diseases. There is like modern day leprosy, uh, and it's a very specific thing um, that afflicts, oddly enough, humans and armadillos. I didn't know if, I don't know if you knew that, but uh, yeah, look it up, whatever. Uh, it's really weird. But that's not, when, it, when the Bible uses the word leprosy, it's just, it's a lot more generic than that. And leprosy, from their vantage point, was kind of a contagious skin condition. And because of that contagion, people had to be very careful. If you got it, you were immediately unclean, so you could no longer worship God at the temple, which is God's house, that, we're, that is where God is. You had to remove yourself from your community. Uh, you basically lost everything. So that's why Jesus, as he's entering this village, sees these lepers who stand at a distance. They can't get too close. And Jesus then says, of course, go show yourselves to the priests. Makes perfect sense. If you have leprosy and it is cleansed in some way, 
Um, you can only re-enter society when you have been cleared by the priests in the temple. They were specifically trained to identify skin diseases. It's kind of gross, and I'm so glad that's not part of the pastoral office, but it is what it is. So Jesus says, go, show yourselves to the priests. And these guys are like, sweet, they leave. And then... And the way it's structured, it seems like pretty soon after they leave, they realize that their leprosy is gone. One turns back, and he falls at Jesus' feet. And at this point, Luke springs the trap. He says, now he was a Samaritan. So that raises a question. So what? I think that's a question. So what? Yeah, probably. Um, so as it turns out, Samaritans and, and Jews have a complicated history. Um, in the year 722 BC, so quite a long time before Jesus, the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians came in and basically removed Israel, the northern tribes, from the map. They conquered them, just waxed them. And uh, it, it, as part of their empire-building strategy, they had a tendency to, once they conquered a group of people, deport a bunch of them and then import a bunch of others. A bunch of other conquered peoples from all over their empire who spoke different languages, had different religions and customs and stuff like that. And their theory is that if our conquered people can't really unite around a common idea or language or anything like that, then they're much less likely to revolt. And for their part, as it turns out, they were right, but the Assyrians were good at conquering, terrible at management, so they didn't last too terribly long. Uh, but when they just wiped Israel out from the map and brought in a bunch of other people, they eventually, over time, created a um, kind of a, a mixed group. And they retained a lot of like, things that we would identify as Jewish identity or Israelite identity. But there were also some differences. Like they had the first five books of the Bible. It was slightly different. They had some similar beliefs uh, and systems, but it was just slightly different. And Samaritans and Jews hated each other to the point, even around the time of Jesus, it led to violence. Like, it was that bad. And in, I cannot stress this enough, nobody was innocent in this. Everybody was basically terrible to each other. So you have strike one there. You know, when Luke says, now he was a Samaritan, if you're a Jewish audience, you'd go, oh, oh, give me a break. I hate those guys. There was another major difference, though. And that is, when they were asked the question, where is God? The Samaritans would say, well, that's obvious. God is in his temple on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim is like 30, I think it's like 31, 32-ish miles as the crow flies north of Jerusalem. Whereas if you were to come to a Jewish person, perhaps even Jesus, and say, hey, where is God? 
they would say, well, that's obvious. He's in his temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. This difference is fundamental. It is not just a question of, well, where do you go to church? This, is, this, this question of where is your God really cuts to the core of your identity if you are a first century Near Eastern person. So question, when this group of people, these lepers, are told by Jesus, go show yourselves to the priests, where do they go? Because Jesus is Jewish, he would have looked Jewish, he would have worn like this kind of shawl and some other stuff, so it would have been obvious that he would have meant the one in Jerusalem. But as it turns out, one of them is a Samaritan. So what's he going to hear? He's going to hear Mount Gerizim. Um, the woman at the well, another very famous story, uh, interaction of Jesus uh, found in the book of John. Um, if you Go back and read that, John 4. You'll see that it is actually all about the temple because the woman says, look, your people say Jerusalem, our people say Mount Gerizim. And she asks him, where is God really? So they leave. And they find that their leprosy is healed. And the Samaritan comes back. And yes, this story is about gratitude. Giving thanks to God for what he has done. Absolutely. But there's something else behind that. And that is the question, what temple did they go to? How did they, what choice did they make? Or to put it another way, which temple did this Samaritan guy go to? Or to ask it more pointedly, where did he identify God's presence? You tell me. Jesus. He had a choice about where God is, and he chose Jesus. This is why Jesus says, your faith has made you well. It's also why he's surprised. He knows that he would have answered differently. And he chose correctly. So this uh, question is, or, or, or the, the issue kind of behind all of this is actually pretty pertinent. Um, it, it's the question of where is God? Now, modern people, we, might, we would say, well, God is everywhere. And, and the prophets, the Hebrew prophets would, of course, agree. Um, but they would ask, where is God? Our question is maybe like, who is God? Or what do you mean when you use the word God? I think that's really what's going on here. Like if somebody were to come up to you and say, do you believe in God? I think one of the best answers you can give is, what do you mean by God? 
Because when you use the word God, you're heaping a lot of stuff onto a very short word. And we often assume that what we mean by God is what they mean by God. Uh, When I was living on the San Francisco Peninsula, it took me a couple years to pick up on this. But I would be interacting with all kinds of people, and uh, occasionally I would hear people identify either themselves or other people as believers. Now, living in Texas for kind of my formative years, like uh, you know, high school and college, and living in the South for a bunch of time, if somebody said, I'm a believer, that's a very specific label. And in fact, if you're in Texas, it probably not only means that they're identifying as a Christian, they're probably identifying as a Baptist or an evangelical, to be perfectly honest. But in the San Francisco Bay Area, people would say, I'm a believer. And it, it took me a little bit, but I realized, oh, what he means is actually he's a Hindu. What they mean is they follow a, a very kind of generic mishmash of different religious ideas. What they mean is that they believe in the existence of some kind of supernatural being. Not, do I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? which is how a first-century Jewish person would answer. So if you were posed with the question, what do you mean by the word God? How would you answer that? What kind of weight do you give that word? I mean, if a kind of a grumpy old carpenter is, you know, building whatever he's building and he smashes his thumb and expresses, shall we say, religious ideas, is he invoking the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I sincerely hope not. And I would, I would think probably not. But if I use the word God, what do I, what do I mean? Um, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, he's a, he was an Anglican bishop, the Bishop of Durham, and he's held posts at St. Andrews, and I think he's in Oxford right now, um, would, uh, would, or said uh, that he, for a while at Oxford, in his younger years, he was a chaplain to the college, and he would meet with all the incoming first-year students and just introduce himself, say, hey, I'm your chaplain. If you need anything, I'm here to, you know, here for you. And a lot of times students will say, oh, that's great, appreciate it, but just so you know, you probably won't see me because I'm an atheist. Uh, And he would specifically say, oh, that's interesting. What God do you not believe in? And they would usually say something along the lines of, um, well, I mean, the God kind of like this supernatural being maybe in the sky who expects us to live a very specific way, and and if we don't, he is going to punish us severely, and he's generally kind of upset with all of humanity. And he would then say, oh, you know, I don't really believe in that God either. And, And he said that usually the students would kind of look at him weird and then kind of go, oh, oh. Because it turns out there were all kinds of rumors that most of the Oxford chaplains were atheists. (laughs) So, you know, insert your own punchline there. Um, I don't know that I would, I I mean, I would agree. I, I don't know that I really believe in that God either. But here's why it matters. What you worship 
or whom you worship, will shape you. If you worship a God who wants your prosperity, wants you to drive nice cars and live in a nice house and make gobs of money, which is unfortunately something that you will hear among mainstream American Christianity right now, you'll become greedier, less satisfied, less content. If for you, primarily, God is a, is a sovereign being, and by the way, I'm not saying God is not sovereign, but if primarily, when you use the word God, you mean God is sovereign and all-powerful, then what you may end up worshiping is actually authority. You may become more authoritarian, maybe less able to tolerate things that happen around you that are outside of your control or things that happen in ways that you don't think that's how they should. And if you find yourself feeling and acting like that, it's worth asking, who is God? Now, in the same way, I mean, and, and here's where I, where I will incriminate myself. If God is a concept, if, 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 if God is complicated and God is, is something to figure out. So, okay, who is God? Well, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. You know, you know God of God, very light, a very light, you know, being of the same substance with God, you know, and so on and so forth. Well, I mean, that's all true. But that's very sterile. Because the way that God is revealed in the Bible, primarily as followers of Jesus, is through Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, or, or when I use the word God as a follower of Jesus... I mean Jesus. I mean, yes, I am a Trinitarian Christian. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is primarily revealed himself by sending his Son. But this is crazy because this story is not a power play. It is not about God sending his son to get all of you miscreants set right. But actually to weep with and weep over his people who have gotten it wrong and are paying for it. That actually... God, when I use the word God, ideally, I mean someone who is love, who is self-giving, who is willing to empty himself for people who do not deserve it. That's a very different story. And honestly, I, I, I would do well to be more like that. 
So what this single Samaritan outcast, because he's a Samaritan and because he has leprosy, shows us is both where is God and who is God. Well, it's this guy who in two chapters will burst into tears over his people, will go to his grave by their hand, but for their sake. And then in doing so, defeat death. So, what do you mean when you use the word God? Amen. As you are able, I invite you to rise.